not be to you. It seemed uh, maybe a little tough for me as I studied it out and began to, to write it out. I, I do believe it'll give you something to think about, okay? I want to talk to you this morning on the privilege of saying no to yourself so that you might say yes to a brother and sister, okay? And by saying no to yourself and yes to them, you're helping them in their walk with Christ. Sometimes when we say that we are free in Christ, we get the idea that we have a license to do anything we want to do regardless of how that may be perceived by, by others, okay? And I want you to know right out of the gate where I'm going, I think one of the greatest privileges that we have as Christians is to say no to self. Even if by saying no means nothing wrong, but simply by saying no so that we might help our brother and sister. I believe Christian liberty means that we limit ourselves so that we can help a brother and sister in life. And, and I think it's a challenging subject, okay? You know, the Bible's pretty explicit in certain areas of our Christian life, right? The Bible clearly tells us that we shall not commit murder, no question about that, commit adultery, no question about that. The Bible says we shall not lie or steal, no, no question about that. However, beloved, there are other areas in the Christian life that some call gray areas. Some call it disputable areas of the Christian life. For example, uh, we know that drunkenness is very clearly condemned as Christians, right? No, no issue about that. But the issue of social drinking is challenging to some, okay? And there has to be some principles upon which we make our decision in that area. And I want to tell you, those social areas are major today, okay? These are challenging things for us that we have to work through, uh, and, and I want to deal with that. I, and let me just tell you, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Uh, God will tell you what to do. I believe the Holy Spirit's fully capable. He doesn't need me to help him, okay? Uh, so those are areas you and the Holy Spirit have to deal with. However, I do believe I have the right and the responsibility to share with you things that challenge you, things to make you think a little bit, or at least some perspectives upon which you can make some kind of a decision on those gray areas, what you're going to do or, or not do, and why you should do it, and to the glory of God in your decision. For example, another one's dancing, okay? Is it okay to line dance, but wrong to sh shake your booty, you know? Uh, I, you know, that's a, maybe a gray area. I don't know. Last Wednesday, we had our uh, Macedonian mission thing, and my son and daughter-in-law got me up there dancing the Macedonian dance. My first thought was, I hope there's no deacon meeting following this thing, you know? To make it worse, I was dancing with Jack Carpenter, you know? Uh, what, do you do in, what do you do in some of those areas, you know? Some of you young folks don't know what it's like for us, some of us old folks. When I was a kid growing up, my parents wrestled through uh, the motion picture show. You don't call it motion picture show anymore. You call it the show, you know? My parents struggled through that. I can remember my, my mother, don't laugh at that, okay? I remember, uh, I can remember my mother uh, wrestling with card games, certain card games, and 
And I want to tell you, the dice games, now you don't know this young people, but the dice games were a real problem for my parents. How does a Christian handle these areas of their lives? Do we claim Christian liberty that I'm saved? I can do and go and be anything I want to be because Christ has liberated me? Or are there some principles I need to be aware of and how important is it to think about what I choose to do as it affects my brother and sister in Christ or how it affects my brother and sister in the faith family, especially if my brother and sister may not be as mature in their understanding of freedom as I am. And so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is talk to you on this subject. It's what God laid on my heart. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Next week we'll be in Romans 14. And I want us to deal with it up front, okay? I just want to be as open and honest, share from my heart and share from Scripture, scripture what I believe the Bible teaches us. We read verses, don't we, like, uh, whatever you do, in word and deed, do all for the glory of God. How does that shake out in your life? We read verses like abstain from any appearance of evil. How does that shake out? What does that mean for you? I mean, you know, we're not talking about Sunday. We're talking about Tuesday or we're talking about Thursday. How does abstaining from any appearance of evil shake out for the kingdom of God? Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another on the same basis that I have loved you. How does that shake out? What does the scripture teach us about these areas of high responsibility from one brother to another? Okay, Let me, let me just share with you the, the premise the, the, where I believe. Okay, Freedom in Christ is not a right to do something. It's a privilege not to do something. Do you get that? I believe the bottom line, if we were to take a sermon in, in one sentence, freedom in Christ is not the right to do something, but it's the privilege not to do something. If it would injure or harm a brother and sister. Let me give you an illustration that those of you that have been at Indian Springs for 10 years or more, you might remember this. Uh, most of you are new, so I'll share. Uh, I, uh, I spent, before, I surrendered to preach in Shreveport, Louisiana. And one of the things that I really enjoyed down in Shreveport was seafood, uh, specifically raw oysters. I know that grosses some of you out. But I don't tell you, ain't nothing better than putting a raw oyster in your head, in your mouth, and shaking your head and let it slide down, okay? Yuck, huh? Well, I, uh, God called us to preach, and we moved to West Memphis. They don't know anything about seafood up there. All they know is fried catfish. And I, 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 I missed oysters in, in, in this, this uh, I said in the first service, VA, but it's VF what? VFW. Uh, they came out with this... Uh, Raw oyster night. And I thought, whoa. And someone in my church came to me and said, Brother Tom, we know you like raw oysters because you've shared it before. And the VFW is having a raw oyster night 
and here is your ticket. Now, gang, if you hadn't had raw oysters in three or four years, and you get a free ticket, that's kind of exciting, you know? And so I was just so pumped about it, and the day arrived, I didn't eat breakfast. I didn't even eat the day before. I figured 30, 40 raw oysters are going to make me happy. The day arrived, and a lady in my church called me, and, uh, and she said to me, can you stop by my house? And I said, yeah, I said, an elderly lady, and I said, yeah. So I sat down on her porch, and she said to me, Tom, uh, Brother Tom, she said, I, I just got to tell you, I heard that you're going to eat raw oysters. And I said, yeah. And she said, at the VFW Lodge. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I just want you to know, at least in West Memphis, good things don't happen there. And I said, yeah, but it's just oysters. And she said, I, I don't want you to go there. I said, do what? She said, I don't want my pastor going to the VFW Lodge. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I said, I'll go in the back door. I'll sit, I'll sit on the last table. I won't talk to anybody. I won't even drink tea. I'll just eat and go. And she said to me, if you go, I'm going to be offended that my pastor would go to a place that she called a place like that and do that. Okay, I want to tell you, I, I had a tough battle there, you know. I, 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 first of all, she's wrong. She was wrong. But I wrestled with the truth. Do I have a right as free in Christ to go there and injure a sister or do I have the blessed privilege of passing on the oysters? I passed on the oyster. I've never forgiven her. But I, <laughs> I, I passed on the oysters, okay? And what I want you to get out of today's message, and I'm not going to tell you what to do in those areas. Those are, those are your areas you've got to deal with. The Holy Spirit's capable. But I do want to give you a perspective of a blessed privilege we have as followers of Christ to say no to ourselves so that we might say yes to a brother and sister. In our text that we'll be reading in, in the church at Corinth was having a major issue over meat that had been offered to idols. They wrote Paul a question. They, they sent a question to him. What do we do about this meat issue? You know, Was it okay to eat the leftover meat? Was the meat tainted? Was God being dishonored? If they ate the meat, would we be joining in idol worship? Now listen, I understand we don't have meat issues. To, ours is all oysters, okay? I understand we don't have meat issues today. But I'm going to tell you, young people, you've got issues you've got to deal with in your life. And by the way, your mom and dad may not tell you they've got issues they've got to deal in their life about what is a privilege for a Christian and how is it perceived with other Christians? And how does it shake itself out in the body of Christ? And I want you guys to know up front, I have a responsibility to you, not just to be able to say I can do this, but to be able to say if it injures Stu or Andrew or Doug, I'll give up my right 
because I don't want to injure my faith family. What a blessed privilege, but what a hard thing sometimes that is. So let's talk about it. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read the entire verse. I'm not going to reread any of it later. Hopefully by reading it, you'll get the gist of it, and then I'll address how Paul deals with it, okay? Verse 1 of chapter 8, 1 Corinthians. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant. Love edifies. That's one of the things you got to do with. Love builds up the house is what he's saying. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. That's confusing to me. But if anyone loves God, ah, I can get that. He is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, here's, he says, here's what we know. There's no such thing as an idol in the world, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, he's talking about false gods and lords there, obviously, yet for us, verse 6, there is but one God, the Father from whom are all things. We exist for him. That's a principle, love principle, his glory. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. And now verse 7 is a contrast. However, he says, this is that lady that didn't like oysters. However, not all, let me insert women. <laughs> no, not all men have this knowledge. But some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor better if we do eat. In other words, eating is not a big deal here. But take care that this liberty of yours does not, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Are you getting the principle here? For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple... Will not his conscience, if he is weak, which means immature, okay, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. He actually says, you can ruin a brother here. That's major stuff. And so, by sinning against the brethren, you see that? Sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience... When it is weak, you also sin against Christ. Now, here's the catcher, verse 13. Therefore, if, and I'll insert oysters, if oysters causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat oysters again for this purpose, that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Father, this is heady stuff, challenging stuff. But Father, it's very important stuff. And so help us waddle through it in a way that your Holy Spirit can take it and address it in the hearts of my dear people for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, be seated. Let me, uh, 
Let me take a moment to kind of give you the cultural context. We don't wrestle with meat and idols like they did, but you need to understand the context for just a moment, okay? The new Christians were saved out of pretty rank paganism, a paganistic system, okay? The paganistic system was the worshiper of false gods. By the way, isn't that interesting? Everybody is made to worship. Everybody has to have someone or something to worship. We were made to worship. Even those who are lost have to worship someone or something. Well, these new Christians were saved out of that kind of a, of a system, and they're not sure what to do. Paul tells them, well, there's no such thing as an idol in reality. Yet at the same time, we have to be careful of those who may not get it all. And so what would happen is the, the, the lost people would, would take meat. They would bring it to their false temples, to their false priests. And some of the meat would be offered on a, a sacrifice for worship. Now, there was some meat left over. And so the meat that was left over could be given back to the person coming to make the sacrifice where he could go home and have a barbecue and invite people over to eat. Or he might would give it to the meat market and the meat market would sell it, perhaps sell it to a restaurant. They actually had restaurants in temples and so perhaps the meat would be sold to a restaurant, and, and these new Christians were saying, wait a minute, I don't know what to do here. Oh, Bobby's inviting me over to eat some barbecue, and I know that half of that meat was offered on a false idol, sacrifice. Do I eat? Some were saying, well, you know, we've been invited to go to a restaurant, and I'll get into you. Some of that meat at that restaurant's been offered to an idol what do we do? How do we handle it? Do we consume it? Do we reject it and hurt people? Does it hurt our testimony? How does it affect this thing that we, that's new to us that we call church, the, the, the family of faith? And Paul has to deal with it, and Paul does in two ways. Gang, let me just tell you, as we look at these two ways that he handles the dilemma, this is a major issue facing Christendom today. Now, you may not want to think that, but I'm telling you this, and you listen to me. I've been around a while. As the darkness grows, as the culture loses its specifics and becomes a little grayer, as there is this movement that's always been opposed to God, seemed to be growing in these last days, these social issues are major issues facing the church today. And you and I have to wrestle through that. You as a parent have to wrestle through that in the raising of your kids. As a church, we've got to wrestle through. And like I said, I don't think in these, in these gray areas I should have to stand up. I mean, I know I get dangerously close at times, but I don't want to stand. I think the Holy Spirit can handle this. But you need to be aware of it. And you need to be aware of the ramifications of it. And you've got to decide the effects of it and, and how you're going to deal with it, okay? So Paul deals it, with the dilemma in, in two ways. He, he gives two overriding principles. Number one, at, at the beginning of verse eight, uh, chapter 8 through about halfway down, 
he talks about spiritual realities. In other words, he's saying there's some things that you really got to know theologically. We call it orthodoxy. It's, it's what we know is right. He says you got to have knowledge. Now that's not all that plays into the answer. But Paul immediately speaks from the standpoint of knowledge. you got to have a firm foundation. you got to have a theological basis here. And the theological basis he gives is there's no such thing as an idol. So from a spiritual logic perspective, if there's no such thing as an idol, then there's no such thing as a sacrifice. And if there's no such thing as a sacrifice, then there's no such thing as tainted meat. Order it medium rare. That's the idea here, okay? Eat up. Now, gang, you know there are some truths that can never be compromised. We know that. But even in these kinds of areas, these gray areas, there has to be a theological foundation. There has to be a basis upon which we are going to say yes or no. And we have to be sure theologically that we're at peace with God. That's why Paul says there is but one God, the Father from whom all things are from all things. And we exist for him. There is one Lord Jesus Christ by whom all things exist and we exist through him. That's the foundation upon we have to begin to make a decision. In a sense, he's saying don't get carried away with things that aren't even real. And I think that's important because I'll tell you, we're pretty good at that, are we not? We're good about getting carried away with our own personal ideals. I think that lady who was anti-oyster got carried away with her own idea. I think she was drastically, dreadfully, terribly, I've never forgiven her. I think she was wrong, you see, okay? I, her knowledge was wrong. The basis of her knowledge was wrong. And sometimes we get carried away with our personal views because we say, I don't care what other people think. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so we indulge. And while it may not be wrong in and of itself, it could be that we hurt somebody. If I'd ate those oysters, I would have hurt her. That was more important, I think, than eating oysters, okay? But I want to tell you, we get carried away with church traditions the same way, do we not? I mean, we got this idea how it's supposed to work. It's us four or no more. We've been doing this for 1,500 years. We have these traditions that we follow, and ultimately these traditions that really are not even scriptural, they're man-made, become the traditions and the laws of the church. I know what's right, and so we're going to do it my way, and any opposing way is wrong. And so what happens is we begin to squeeze the Holy Spirit down, and we, be, we begin to squeeze life out of the fellowship. That's why in verse 1, if you'll notice, Paul says knowledge is dangerous. Knowledge is arrogance. The word means to be puffed up, to be windy, or to inflate. You see, spiritual reality is vital in the gray areas that are not explicitly explained in Scripture. So you got to be sure, number one, you're on a theological foundation. You with me? Say amen. Good. Come on now. That's what I'm talking about. All right, number two, he deals with from spiritual maturity. And that, that begins in, in verse 7. 
he begins with a contrast. However, not all men have this knowledge, okay? So there's theological importance, but there's something also that plays into the answer that you have to seek for, and that is what we call not orthodoxy, what we believe, but orthopraxy, how we live. It's not knowledge, but it's your attitude that ultimately is going to manifest itself in your actions. This is the doing. Now, think with me. Isn't this, this is amazing. I'm talking about gray areas, not the black and whites. I'm talking about gray areas here. What's amazing is what may be right because of knowledge can become wrong because of injury to a less mature brother or sister. Isn't that amazing? What can be right could become wrong if the faith family is injured. Do I have a responsibility to my brother? Do I have a responsibility to my sister? Do I have a responsibility to the church? Do I have a responsibility to the kingdom of God? And the answer emphatically from Paul, beginning in verse 7, is yes, you do. This isn't about you. There's something larger here than just you. It's not like a dot. It's like a circle. There's factors inside that circle that we've got to wrestle through that we've got to deal with. Amazing. Something not wrong can become wrong if I don't deal with it the right way. And so actually the challenge Paul gives to them, and by extension to us, even though it's not a meat issue, it's other issues, the challenge he gives is, am I willing to give it up if it injures another Christian? Think about that. That's hard, gang. Am I willing to give up? You fill out the blank. Am I willing to give up if it hurts a brother or if it hurts a sister, if it injures another Christian? Verse 1 tells us when, we, when we're able to give up our rights for the privilege of other people, then that's the, the heart ruling over the head. God cares about your heart, folks. God uses people with tender hearts to impact other people. So according to Paul, there ought to be a sense that my rights or freedom gives way to love of the family. Verse 1 says, love edifies. You see that? That's a principle. Love edifies. What does that mean? It means that love builds a house. If I'm going to try to make some kind of a decision in an area that's not as clear as I would like it to be, I wonder sometimes why God didn't use me, ask me about writing some of these laws because I could have cleared up a lot of confusion, right? What is my first principle in making some kind of a decision like that? Well, does it edify, literally, does it build up the house? If by doing or not doing, is it going to build up the house or is it going to tear down the house? I think that when you're dealing in those issues that you have to deal with, I think you have to ask yourself that. Am I going to build up Stu, Derek, or am I going to tear down Stu? I submit to you that's a worthy question you have to answer. The second one is in verse 9. He said, I, I, look at verse 9, uh, but take care this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. The second question, am I going to cause somebody to trip up? If by 
going to the VFW and eating oysters and someone seeing me come out? Maybe she wasn't that wrong after all. Hmm? Maybe it was my pride. Maybe it was my arrogance. Maybe it was my belly talking. Huh? Maybe she was right. Because if someone had saw, seen me come out of the VFW, they didn't know I was sneaking oysters. All they knew is that a pastor came out of a building that sometimes was used not for the best intentions of Christianity, you see. And that's why verse 9 says we should never be a stumbling block, especially to those who are immature or less mature. And Lord, maybe they're brand new Christians. They're trying to figure out all this drink and dance and stuff, or maybe they're trying to figure out all this Christian life stuff, and they're struggling in that area. And so they look at me, and they see me, hopefully Paul, but maybe they see me negatively. That affects them. Now, Paul says that when you persist in this freedom, you're actually sinning against your brother. And when you sin against your brother, he's, I'm not saying that he's saying, okay? You're sinning against Christ. I say to you, gang, beloved sister and brother, member of Indian Springs faith family who is to impact the community and let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father which is in heaven. I say to you, that's pretty heady stuff that he gives to us, okay? Then he adds this. If this action causes a brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. We'll all be vegetarians. How boring would that be, you know? But he said, I love meat. There's nothing about a false sign. There's not a false God. Bring on the meat. Where's the beef? But he says, hey, if it hurts, if it injures, I'll never eat it again because I'm not going to sin against my brother. And by sinning against my brother, I'll not sin against God. So here's where it gets personal. If drinking socially causes a brother to stumble. Will you drink socially? I'm not saying what you should do. I'm saying that's the principle. If going to a questionable place, indulging in questionable practices, that in and of themselves may not be wrong, will you give it up because it might cause a brother or a sister to stumble? Would you let your knowledge hinder the building up of love to somebody else? And here's what Paul says. This is what Scripture, Tommy is saying this. Here's what Scripture says. If, you are, if you're willing to shrug up your shoulders and do it anyway, Paul says you're sinning against the brother in the very one who bled over your sin. What he's saying is knowledge can be a terrible handicap. Perceived rights, dear people, can be a terrible handicap for a brother and sister trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. Well, let me summarize. I'm going to give you three things in a summary, questions you should ask yourself, give you a couple things to chew on, and then we'll be through, okay? Question number one is, whose glory is it 
about anyway. Is it about God's glory or is it about mine glory? And I would tell you I would choose God if I were you every time. I think when you're in these gray areas and you're trying to figure this stuff out, I think you ask yourself, well, who's going to get the glory? Will, I, will, will God get the glory or am I going to be narcissistic and go after my own glory, which seems to be so prominent today? It's all about me, isn't it? Whose glory is it about? God or mine? I think you ought to go with God every time. You answer that question in those areas. Question number two, whose good is it for? Is it for me or my brother? You know, I would suggest to you, choose your brother every time, okay? Because again, there's a narcissistic edge or drive. In my Sunday school class, I told my class, by the way, we're the new class, we're the new birth class. The only thing, Don came in his outfit and gave us cigars, it was bubblegum cigars. But someone said, yeah, but he wasn't wearing gloves, you know. Uh, I told them, I said, there's something in us that's driven for self. There's a propensity in us that loves to sin. And, and we have to ask ourselves, what's the good? Is it me or my brother? I would suggest choose your brother. Number three, is this a license to do, or is it a liberty not to do? And I have to tell you, I, I believe through these years, when, when, I, when I'm faced with these kind of tensions, when I give up and do for others, or God's glory, while it's a struggle, maybe in the process, at the end, I feel so much better about myself. Don't you feel good when you do good? Don't you feel good when you do other, for other people, you know? I mean, there's been so time, some times, gang, and late in the evenings, you know, I, I believe every godly person ought to go to bed around 8 o'clock at night, you know. And sometimes the phone rings at 9 or 10, you know. And someone says, hey, so-and-so's been taken to the hospital. Everything in me screams. They'll be all right, you know. <laughs> call the Sunday school teacher. Now that Don's here, call Don, you know. But you don't do that. You get up and you put your clothes on and you drive to the hospital. And the whole time you're driving here, you're thinking, man, I wish I was in bed. I don't want to be here. You know, they're not even going to know I'm there. They got them knocked out with drugs, you know. But invariably, I say a prayer on the drive back home. You know what? Yes. Feel good about that. See? Hey, is it a license to do or a liberty not to do? And I, I think that's important. Let me give you a couple things to chew on. Because it's easy when you start dealing with these kind of scriptures and you start talking about these areas, it's easy to say that's just a bunch of legalism. Well, let me tell you something. Limits on your liberty is not legalism if it honors God and if it helps your spiritual family. Limits is not legalism. It may be the most godly thing you'll ever do if it builds in love the brother and a sister, okay? Last thing to chew on is to insist on my own way can very well be sin against the very one who went to a cross and he died for me. And I think that's pretty heady stuff, like I said. One last thing. 
Paul, when he writes this, he's writing to brothers and sisters. He's trying to give some principles upon which we can make right decisions in a gray area. He's not talking about lost people, okay? And I want to be very clear with you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a confrontational gospel. It immediately polarizes people. If you're out trying to win people and witness for Christ and live for Christ, you can't join in the party because the gospel always calls for a distinction. I remember one of our high school boys several years ago was getting ready to go off, and, and I just love this kid, and we were sitting down talking, and, and, and I told him, I said, son, let, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You're fixing to get out from underneath mom and dad. You're going to be able to go your own way. You're going to have more time on your hands than you've ever had in your life. You know, you go to class maybe one or two hours a day, and the rest of the time you're supposed to be studying, but we know better, you know. And I said, you're going to have more time on your hands. And I said, let me tell you, you can be like everybody else that's up there anytime you, you want to. All you got to do is do what they do. But the moment you do what they do, you'll never be yourself again. If you say, no, I'm not going to give in, I'm not going to do this, then you'll always be yourself. But the moment you, I told my daughter when she was, I pulled her aside. And I said, Rhonda, if you're going to be pure before God, then you're going to have to learn to say no. And the moment you say yes, she was talking about some friends who had given in. And I said, you can be like them anytime you want to. All you got to do is do what they do. But the moment you do, you'll never be you. You'll always be something, someone different. And gang, I'm not telling you what to do in these gray areas. That wasn't a gray area for me anyway. But I'm not about to tell you what to do in, in these gray areas. That's between you and God. But I'm telling you this. This is family business. This is not for the lost world. The lost world, Jesus never compromised. Jesus attracted them not by slapping their backs. He attracted them by being a godly man, a perfectly godly man. And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ must be godly in what we do today. The confrontation of the gospel warrants it. And the Holy Spirit of God will give us grace to handle it. But anyway, that's all I got. Here's my invitation, okay? Can I honestly say, I forsake all for the glory of Christ. I release everything in my life for the glory of God. That's my invitation to you, to answer those questions. Will I give it all up for His glory? Will I exchange it all for the cause of Jesus? So that I will never cause to stumble a brother and sister. And I'll always try to build up my brother and sister in love. Well, let's bow our heads, okay? Our team's going to come and we're going to have just a moment of response. You, you 